Blog Talk Radio. Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to providing underprivileged children with the basic necessities of life. 
I'm also a board-certified integrated holistic health energy psychology, positive psychology, and energy and vibrational sound therapist with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where From the Heart Radio streams to you live each and every week, bringing you optimistic and uplifting information from interesting people, people who are making a positive impact in our world. And today, we are very fortunate because we will be speaking with Connie Zweig. Connie Zweig, PhD, is a retired therapist. She's known as the shadow expert. She is co-author of Meeting the Shadow and Romancing the Shadow and author of Meeting the Shadow of Spirituality, as well as a novel, A Moth to the Flame, The Life of Sufi Poet Rumi. Her new best-selling book, The Inner Work of Age, Shifting from Role to Soul, extends her work on the shadow into midlife and beyond and explores aging as a spiritual practice, which is our topic for discussion. Her book won the coveted 2022 Gold COVR Award, the 2022 Gold Nautilus Award, the 2021 American Book Fest Award, and the 2021 Best Indie Book Award for Best Inspirational Nonfiction. She has been doing contemplative practices for more than 50 years. She is a wife, she is a stepmother, and she is a grandmother. So she is well acquainted with all of these roles, and she herself is practicing the shift from role to soul. So please join me in welcoming to the show, Dr. Connie. Thank you for taking time to be here. It is such a pleasure to have you join us on From the Heart Radio. How are you being? (laughs) Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate the work you're doing. I'm being fine. I'm I'm really well. Thank you. (laughs) That's great. And kudos to you for all of those awards. That is just so cool. I mean, that's a lot of awards. That's really, really, I mean, you just must be, like, thrilled. It's just wonderful to see that happening, especially with a book such as this. so gratifying. So gratifying. (laughs) Well, your book, The Inner Work of Age, Shifting from Role to Soul, to me, it really is a almost like a how-to resource for shadow work and spiritual practices so that people can live their later lives with purpose and meaning and fulfillment. You know, um, shadow work is, of course, your area of expertise. But for those who are not familiar at all with with what that means, would you please explain what the term shadow work does mean? You know, when we all grow up, when we're kids and and we're taking in our parents and our teachers and our clergy, we're learning that some feelings and behaviors lead to approval, And others lead to rejection or abandonment or shame. And those forbidden feelings and behaviors get buried into the unconscious, what Freud and Jung called the unconscious. And Carl Jung, early in the days of um, psychology, came to call that the shadow. It's like a blind spot that we can't see in ourselves that holds all of these unacceptable traits and feelings and behaviors, even some of them that are very positive. Like if your family, if you were naturally artistic or athletic and your family didn't approve of that or validate it, those talents may have gone into the shadow. Mm. If they didn't like it when you were angry, some of your authentic anger will have gone into the shadow. And so as we move through the lifespan, 
some of those feelings and behaviors erupt. They could erupt in addiction, in depression, um, compulsive behaviors, criticism, um, repeating fights in intimate relationships. So parts of the shadow erupt and they um, sabotage our conscious intentions. So as we age and we grow older, the same thing is happening. We have images and thoughts and feelings about old age that we're not aware of because they're in the shadow, in the blind spot. And as we learn to uncover them and work with them, we can really reimagine age for ourselves and have a different experience. Now, you've written a lot of books in your career, and they're on shadow work, meeting the shadow, romancing the shadow. What was the catalyst for this particular book at this particular time? Um, As I entered my late 60s, I had been doing clinical work as a therapist for about 30 years. It was my fourth career. And I started to imagine retiring from, from being Dr. Connie, the shadow expert. And I began to become disoriented. And I realized that even with all the psychological work and the spiritual work that I had done, that the loss of that identity was creating a late-life identity crisis. And so I looked around to try to read about it, and even though there are thousands of books about aging, there are not any about the unconscious process. How is the unconscious shaping our experience of retirement and of growing older? And so I kind of realized, because that was missing, that I had one more book to write, that 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 might be a contribution I could make. It's a huge contribution, too. Thank you. There's 70 million baby boomers, you know, 10,000 people (laughs) turning 65 every day, and most of them are feeling that disorientation. And so what they tend to do is they tend to rev up again. Let's go start a new business. Let's go volunteer. Let's keep busy. And what I'm suggesting is that this is a time for self-reflection. This is a time for doing life review and really distilling the lessons we've learned from our lives. And it's a time for reconciliation, giving and receiving forgiveness in our relationship. It's a time for spiritual practice in whatever religion or spirituality really fits for you, you know, using this time to find some kind of spiritual practice. That's what all of the religious traditions teach, every single one, that that's what this stage of life is about. So the book is kind of oriented to like a rite of passage because Mm -hmm. we don't have a rite of passage in our culture for older adults. You know, we, we, we have a Medicare card that comes in the mail at 65. But becoming a senior is not becoming an elder. And so I really wanted to kind of dig into what that was about. What's the meaning of that? And it doesn't help that there's such a big bias in this country anyway about ageism. You know, um, it's, you, can't, you can't get away from it. And it affects us cognitively and, and 
it affects us physically and you know it just seems to be that that's running rampant out there people who are aging aren't as respected as they are in other countries they're not put up as people you can learn from but rather oh let's just push them away and putting them in a nursing home or or something like that so you know i think this would help for people who i didn't see it as just for people over the retirement age but more for people who are going are thinking about that you know we pay insurance right so that we can live well we're paying money and we're investing money in ourselves but when do we turn around and invest in ourselves for well-being and that's what your book seems to seems to do for people but I would think even at a younger age, even though it's more geared toward this is the time of your life to do this, it's something for people to invest in. I found it to be that way, you know, investing in their mindfulness and their awareness and, and how to prepare for being able to continue to live well with purpose and meaning. So I found it to be thought-provoking in that way. That's, that's to me. Has anyone else commented on that aspect? Well, so let me tie together the two points you're making. Um, we swim in a sea of ageism. Mm. The bias against older adults is in every institution, right? It's in mm-hmm. every church. It's in healthcare. It's in education. It's in it's in families. I know it was in my family. Um, and so we take it. It's certainly in the workplace. So yes. and it's in films. It's in film and television. And so. Through the lifespan, at every age, we take in these negative characterizations of old people, and we develop stereotypes. And then we project onto old people, and we really saw that a lot during COVID. And then what happens is we internalize that ageism into a shadow that I call the inner ageist. And that inner ageist is telling us young is good and old is bad. Independent is good and dependent is bad. Strong is good and weak is bad. All those messages then are targeted against ourselves. And I had so many older people in my practice who were feeling shame, who were feeling self-hatred, who wanted to um, fix their their appearance and maintain their appearance to look young, who wanted to continue to be successful because that was where they found their value. And so they strive to maintain midlife heroic values in later life that really don't fit. Now, this happens through the lifespan, and so you're asking about the ages of the readers. I just got an email from a 30-year-old who read the book, and said oh, wow. it was so. Yeah, and he said I'm going to age differently because I now understand how all these negative stereotypes that I've internalized are going to affect my health. There's research out of Yale University that the inner ages which is my name for it, um, affects our cognitive health, our cardiac health, even our longevity. Uh It affects our experience of retirement. It affects our emotional well-being. And so the mind-body connection is really at play here with these shadows of age. 
And if we can begin to pull them out of the unconscious and become aware of them and work with them differently, then we can age differently. Yeah, and that is so important to to get that point across because, uh, you know, years ago, I I believe it was years ago, um, oh, John Kabat-Zinn, Full Catastrophe Living, you know, MBSR, uh, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, in order to bring Uh that, you know, the uh, medication and meditation practices that included that, it's profoundly makes a difference in your life, but a lot of a lot of younger people are now starting, I'm seeing, to do more mindfulness activities such as yoga and meditation. And in your book, you do offer meditations, which I loved seeing because that's an important part of my day. I think that that helps people with their ability to bring down their stress levels and anxiety because some of the work, the shadow work, is scary. <laughs> and that's going to bring you into a state of anxiety and even fear you know, so the fact that your book is providing spiritual practices to help reduce those stresses that we encounter, I'm just a big fan of that. And, and I'm so glad you included that in there, because if people aren't aware of what this is and they just start doing it, they can open up a real can of worms and bring themselves into a place that they don't really like, which can cause them a lot of anxiety. Right. So. So as long as I've been teaching shadow work, I've been teaching meditation so that we have a silent refuge inside Mm -hmm. so that we can learn to center ourselves so that when something comes up that's uncomfortable, we don't have to bury it into the shadow as we habitually do. We can actually allow ourselves to begin to let it arise and make a conscious relationship with it. And so meditation and shadow work work together. It's really important. And, you know, it doesn't have to be mindfulness. There are many, many kinds of meditation and prayer. For example, I interviewed um, Father Thomas Keating for the book, who's the founder of Centering Prayer. And he told the story of his whole kind of spiritual life, how it developed for him. Um, I interviewed Krishna Das, who's the mm. kirtan chanting teacher, and about, you know, the practice of chanting. I interviewed Ken Wilber and in, about integral practice for later life and what he does. And Rabbi Rami Shapiro, he does this whole series of practices every day. Some are Jewish and some are from other traditions. So there are many teachers in the book from all different traditions. It's very interfaith and many practices from from different traditions. Yes, and that was part of it that was good too because it wasn't going down one religious path. That's what makes it more spiritual. It's taking all these different aspects and doing what's comfortable for you when you're reading the book and getting to the spiritual practices at the end of each chapter. you know, to be able to, and I, I don't think it's something that, I mean, I read, I read it because I'm interviewing you on this show. So I read through the book, but this is a book that one would need to do more than just read to take well, it slowly, more slowly than just reading a book or, or am I wrong? Yeah. Each chapter ends with a series of practices, mm-hmm. both, 
psychological and spiritual practices. So some people are spending a lot of time with those because they want to be experiential. You know, they want to be changed by the book. Uh And some people are more intellectual and they want the ideas and they focus on that. There are about 50 reading groups now of about 10 people each who are going through the book together. I call them wisdom circles. And mm. they're, they're discussing the ideas and they're doing the practices together. And so it gives them a way to age in community. And I think that that's, for me, one of the most gratifying things that's come out of this is that people are doing this work together, forming intimate friendships, feeling less isolated and more supported. And for our listeners who might be interested in that, um, the wisdom circles are free. They're online. Um, they're leaderless. Most of them are having rotating facilitators. And if you're interested in reading the book with other people, you can email me, Connie Zweig, Z-W-E-I-G, at gmail.com and put wisdom circle in the subject line and I'll connect you with other people. Well, that's great. Are are these are these people of a variety of ages? It doesn't matter what age you are. It's not, you know, uh, they're just putting them in whatever group at any, the time that they can meet. You can be any age. Mm-hmm. Yes. That is great. I also like the you fact know, that you divided. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I, I like the fact that you divided your book into four sections and there are chapters within each one, but they all begin with a parable. That was very clever. I really liked that a lot because it set you up for the chapter. It really got you, it got me thinking. So uh, I thought that was a very interesting way to introduce each, each one. How did you come up with that? Thank you. Um, you know, writing is very intuitive for me. Um, and I remember in the beginning um, thinking about the story of the divine messengers, which is the story of the Buddha. Before he's the Buddha, he's Siddhartha, the prince, and he lives in his father's castle. And he, one day he sneaks out of the castle in his chariot, and he sees illness, old age, and death for the first time because he's been totally sheltered. Mm. And then he sees a monk whose life is dedicated to enlightenment. And he realizes that that there is an alternative to this inevitable suffering. And um, that leads him to leave the palace, to leave his family, and to begin to study. Uh, and eventually, you know, to become Siddhartha, to become the Buddha. So that those three images of illness, old age, and death became the divine messengers. And I was, as I was writing that first chapter, I realized that there were stories for each of the chapters that could be teaching tales um, in the same way. And I particularly like the story of Moses leading his people to the promised land 
and not being able to enter himself. And that's a chapter on life completion. Mm-hmm. What is it you what is it you need to do or think or feel or say in order to feel that your life is completed? And what is the promised land for you? And what does it mean if you don't get to enter it? What do you imagine that Moses was thinking and feeling when he was not allowed to enter Canaan? So there are these stories for each chapter, and um, and then there are also personal stories about mm-hmm. individuals, and there are also interviews, as I said, with all these spiritual teachers. So there's a lot of different kinds of material there. Yeah, there's a ton for you can resonate with different pieces of it, but there's an awful lot that, as you said, it's teaching. It's teaching material, and it helps to bring about things within ourselves as we go through the book and and say, oh, yeah, okay, I get what that means. I I understand that. Uh, It's very – I just thought that was a very thought-provoking part in a way because it sets you up for the chapter, and you don't even realize it at first that, okay, I'm being set up. I don't, you know, I don't mean it that in a bad way. <laughs> Being set up to be able to do this, and then you read the rest of the chapter, and you can see how the different the shadow work practices and the spiritual practices assist you with what has come up after you've read the parable and then the chapter itself. That's exactly right. Yeah, that was really, um, really, really. I don't know. I just found it very, very interesting and, and a clever way to uh, bring people in because it's not academic. That way it's not something that people are reading thinking, okay, I don't really want to read something that's very academic. It's not at all. There are, there are tales being told and they're very enlightening. So kudos to you on that as well. No wonder your book got so many awards. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> it had to be because of that. Um, okay, we're going to take a moment here to introduce our Soji Share, it's time for that. We're sharing stories about kids from all over this planet who are not just filled with hope, but they are motivated, they are creative, they are focused, passionate, and they want to make a difference in this world. And our goal at SojiKids.org is to spread joy, hence our name Soji, which is an acronym for sharing our joy intentionally. And this week, our Soji Share is Garrett Lowry. Garrett was 11 years old, and like a lot of 11-year-old kids, especially boys, he really loves baseball. He runs bases for his travel baseball team. But Garrett also has what some would deem an unusual hobby. Garrett is a knitter. His grandmother taught him knitting as a calming activity for his very energetic nature. And Garrett took to knitting, and it stuck with him. Now, Garrett had lost both his grandfather and a beloved cat to cancer, and he also had a five-year-old friend with uh, neuroblastoma, which is a type of cancer that starts in nerve cells. And Garrett wanted to do something to help his friend and other kids who had cancer. So he decided he would knit 15 hats to provide head coverings for kids who lose their hair to chemotherapy. And Garrett has a very competitive nature, even with himself. So that competitive took over, and he quickly hit his goal of knitting 15 caps right out of the park. He knitted more than 100, all of which have been donated to hospitals in Colorado and California. And Garrett says his friend, Riley Rose Sherman, is the hero. 
and she does a lot of things other people can't, and she's fighting pain like no one he has ever known. And he visited Riley and delivered 50 hats to the Children's Hospital of Orange County, California, where she was being treated. And Garrett's generosity goes well beyond knitting caps, though. He recently rallied his baseball team to donate gifts to underprivileged families. He also volunteers at a Colorado hospital where he delivered his very first batch of cats. Caps. And these experiences sparked a deeper commitment to kindness. And he told us that I met quite a few kids that influenced me to do even more. I knew I had to do something to help others. And these are the kind of kids, this is the good stuff that's happening in our world. You don't have to turn on the news and listen to all that. Just look at all of the good things. Our children are coming up with these ideas on their own. This is the good stuff that Soji focuses on and chooses to share with you each week. You know, focusing on the good in the world, stories like this, it's so very positive and impactful. So seek out the positive each day. It's good for you. It's great for your mental health. And in doing so, you'll help lift everyone else as well. Our energy is contagious, so you might as well keep it positive. Let's start spreading a good contagion and make a positive impact. It's win-win. We like those here at From the Heart Radio. And this is just one example of how kids are making this world better and more joyful, not just for themselves either, but for others. They're really thinking about other people, you know, for all of us. And kudos to this week's Soji Share, Garrett Lowry. So... We are back with Connie Zweig, author of The Inner Work of Age, Shifting from Role to Soul. You can learn more about Connie at her website, Connie Zweig. Go ahead and write this down now. C-O-N-N-I-E-Z-W-E-I-G.com. And then check that out after the show. So, Dr. Connie, let's see. Where, where were we? I... You know, I looked at uh, a couple of things and I was thinking a lot of this is about, and it, it comes into play, is about recognizing, acknowledging, and acceptance for what has happened and how we have lived our lives and, and what we are planning to do with the rest of it. Would you agree with that, recognition, acknowledgement, and acceptance? Um. I'm not sure that's my formula. It sounds like kind of three steps. It's not exactly how I work. But, mm-hmm. you know, I teach many practices in the book. And one of them is life review. And that sounds like that sequence fits for that. Mm-hmm. So when we do a life review and we really go through each decade of our lives, And we look at the key people, the key actions, the key changes we went through, the contributions we made, the traumas and ordeals we may have suffered, the people we met, the people we lost, uh, the creativity, the breakthroughs, the insights. And we really begin to see the tapestry of our lives, you know. Then we can recognize some of the magic and synchronicity. We can recognize the hero's journey, the archetypal pattern in our own lives. Um, We can validate a lot of what's happened. And we can begin also to repair. So for me, um, there's a certain kind of repair that can emerge from doing a life review. 
And one level of it is emotional repair. So we, we look at, you know, who has disappointed us, hurt us, betrayed us, and do we want to work on that? Or do we want to take that to our death? Will we feel regret on the deathbed if we don't do something about that? And another kind of repair is spiritual repair. Some of us may have been spiritually abused, disillusioned, lost our faith. And what, how do we want to repair that now? Do we want to change our beliefs? Do we want to change our teachers, our practices? And what really fits for this stage of our lives in terms of religious and spiritual values and beliefs and practices? And those things kind of emerge naturally from a life review. What so about forgiveness? Of, yes. Giving and receiving forgiveness is part of our emotional repair. And there may be real opportunities to do that with people who are open to it, and there may not. Um, some people may have died. Some people may not be open to it. And so we can come up with different ways of doing that. For myself, I wrote my mother a series of letters after she died because there were things that I just couldn't say to her um, while she was here, and I needed a deeper feeling of completion and to forgive mm. myself. I needed to forgive myself for a few things. So there are lots of different kinds of practices in the book, um, and you know, I think it's an opportunity to move toward life completion as an elder. And an elder is a stage. It's not an age. You may have met people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s who are closed-minded, who are bitter, who are regretful, who are emotionally shut down. That's not an elder for me. Mm -hmm. For me, an elder could be 55 years old. If the person is open, learning, um, reviewing her life, um, working on her relationships, aware of her shadow, doing spiritual practice, and also aware of her mortality. Mortality awareness is a really key um, characteristic of being an elder. So for me, elder is not chronological. It's a stage. And it results from the inner work of age. And it has nothing to do with when your end of life is because there are elders who are quite young. That's right. They almost come in that way. <laughs> to teach well, the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, I think there are old souls, but I wouldn't call them elders because we need to have lived a life to become an elder. We need to have a certain amount of life experience and really digested it to become an elder. And the earlier learn, stages yeah. of life have different purpose. You know, childhood has a different purpose. Midlife, adolescence and midlife, they have a different purpose, different developmental tasks than later life. 
Mm. Yeah. And I think, too, that you said something a little while ago when you were writing the letters to your mom. Uh, you know, you, you wanted to do that because you couldn't say the words yourself. That had to be, first of all, extremely cathartic. But also, you said, you know, I had to forgive myself. And that's what I think might be hardest for many people. It's much harder, I find, to forgive myself than it is to forgive someone else. Yes. And it's really important because we don't want to move toward life's completion carrying guilt, shame, regret. You know, we want to try to free ourselves of that. How does someone, this is an odd question, I think, but how does someone know when they have really... uh, you know, forgiven someone. Now, I've had a lot of people say to me, you know, well, I forgave that person, but then something came up and it just opened up the whole, you know, Pandora's box again, and, and now I'm not forgiving them anymore. So they go back and forth. What do you find to be the real, the real um, knowingness of having forgiven someone? Well, I think this is very individual. This is not a formula. So, you know, for some people, you can forgive an act. Right. For other, for other people, you can forgive a person. For other people, you can see a soul on a yeah. journey and you can forgive. And I think, you know, you, forgiveness is not a quick and easy um and it's also not passive. It's an mm-hmm. action. And it may need to be ongoing for a long time. Yeah. And that's okay. It's almost like a practice, you know, practicing forgiveness. Like practicing patience or practicing non-judgmental awareness or, you know, it's practicing forgiveness is, you know, right now I cannot forgive Vladimir Putin. Right. So I asked myself, what is that doing to me? I think that's a really important question. Yeah, it is. It's a little bit, it's, you know, it's different if I can't forgive my priest or my mother or my best friend. But I can't forgive Vladimir Putin right now for the terrible harm that he's creating. But I also have to ask myself, how is that affecting me, my heart and my health? And to just kind of contemplate where we put our attention and what we hold on to and practice letting go. That's another practice. Yes. Practice letting go and allowing things to just move through us. That's so important as we get into uh, later years, I would think, and coming toward life completion. You don't want to be having a whole lot of regrets in your last hours of, you know, what, what you could have done, what a shoulda, coulda, you know, um, that doesn't, yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny because I'm one of those people that I see the soul, but not in everyone, you know, like you said, Vladimir Putin, really good example. Uh, I get that he's a soul having a journey, 
And then I wonder, is he really, or is he just evil? <laughs> you know, and then I think, okay, that's your, hum- that's your humanness coming out. You can't think that. That's not nice, <laughs> you know. Um, but then I-, I like the question that you asked, how is it affecting me? And I have to tell you, when I watch the news, and I don't anymore, the way it affects me when I hear something that he or other leaders have done that are harmful to the collective whole, it it does a lot to me internally. The anxiety it creates, it's just not worth it. And I need to step away from that. So I understand. yeah, those are things that you, you would think, well, it's not personal. You don't know them. It's not affecting you. You're not the war torn, torn country, but it's affecting us on an energetic level because we're all existing in this world and our compassion is how we're connected. So when I see that and I think, oh, my God, I can't believe this. Just they're, they're still talking about this. He's still doing what is wrong with this man? You know, um, yeah, that all comes out. And I don't have a lot of forgiveness for that, you know, and, and then I have to forgive myself for, for thinking those thoughts. And I think, well, you know, I, I don't have a lot of forgiveness for that either because I really kind of do mean them. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to get past very, that part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very challenging to hold a higher point of view and you know recognize that everybody's here playing a role right but we also we also don't want to make it up we don't want to try to be in a more evolved level of awareness than we actually are right you just have to say okay with who you are and and who i am (laughs) yeah and we want to be authentic. So mm-hmm. to be authentic, we have to really be where we are. And sometimes we have negative emotions. Yeah. And that's what shadow work is about. You know, At least knowing emotions. it and recognizing it, you know, that's step one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I know I'm doing it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Negative mm. emotions are not the problem. It's what we do with them. Right. It's whether we project them out. It's whether we act on them and hurt others. It's whether we internalize them and hurt ourselves. So our relationship to those negative emotions is what matters. Now, your book has only been out for, I think it's been like two and a half months. Didn't it launch in September? No. No, no. Ah. It was last fall, so it's like 15 That was last September. Okay. All right. Yeah. Still, that's not a lot of time to be getting all of the um, feedback that you're getting. That's so positive. And, and to, and to have, when you were talking about the wisdom circle, I thought, wow, she's already doing that. That's really cool. Um, that, that is a, that is a true statement to what this book is doing for people and how much it's needed. Did you find that it was something that was greatly accepted and needed right from the get go? Cause it seems like it was, you know, this is my sixth book, but it's the only one that was publicized and taught completely on Zoom. And so uh. I get to meet my readers in my online workshops for the last year. I've been meeting my readers, and it's been really emotionally wonderful, gratifying for me to hear how it's affecting people, how meaningful it's been to people. I mean, that's what writers want to hear, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I, I, I wasn't surprised because I knew that the need was there. You know, I interviewed hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. Many, so many of them felt 
disoriented and invisible and isolated. And so I know the need is there. It's really about how do people find the book. And um, that's why I've been teaching so much. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think the need is definitely there because people have been so isolated for so long. And, you know, we went through a lot as a world, you know, and still yeah. going through a lot in, in so many different areas, too. It wasn't just it wasn't just COVID. There was a lot of other issues that came up around that and the way it was being uh, dealt with that people ended up having a lot of anxiety and everything. And I think, as I said before, I think the book is great for anybody at almost any age because, as I said, we invest money into our insurance for down the road, whether you have long-term care insurance or whatever it is. There's so many different insurance policies out there. This, is, this could be like the insurance policy to help people in their later years. That's kind of how I, I look at this, a resource guide to help people in their later years, but start looking at it now. So like that young man who was 30 years old called you and told you, I'm going to start, I'm reading this now, and this is helping me to live differently. That is yeah. that right there is a huge, huge compliment. That is just yeah, wonderful. Yeah, it's really beautiful. It's really beautiful. Yeah. I, just, I get the most beautiful emails every day. I can't even tell you. It's very, yeah. it's, very, it's very meaningful, you know, for a writer. It's just beautiful. Well, especially where it's your life's work, you know. I mean, you've been a therapist for your life, and it, that to have this happen at this point in time, it's almost like, okay, this is a full blossom, you know. It's really kind of neat because you have written, like you said, six other books. Now, you have a new, updated, expanded edition of Meeting the Shadow on the Spiritual Path, The Dance of Darkness and Light in Our Search for Awakening. That I read, correct me if I'm wrong, was slated for release next May, 2023. Is that correct? That's it. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. You want to give us a, um, a sneak peek about that book? <laughs> well, <laughs> the book is... Um, you know, sort of extends the Me Too movement into the spiritual world. So it's really about how do we have religious and spiritual understanding and experience, including the shadow, so that we're not projecting onto our clergy and teachers that they're perfect. So that we're recognizing, you know, if we get caught in a projection, what's going to happen? And for many people, the research was, um, the research for the book was quite difficult for me because there are so many spiritual teachers in in different traditions who are very abusive right now. There's a Hmm. lot of shadow being acted out in this arena of life, sexual financial and power shadow stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it's very um, startling that people remain in those communities, even when they see this. And so I tried to understand it. I tried to understand what are people projecting onto these teachers that they can tolerate this behavior. And, um, There's more and more research about this now. There's more scholarly research. There's more um, memoirs. Many people who've been spiritually abused are writing memoirs now. Um, 
So there's more literature to draw on, and there's also the whole conversation around feminism and power and consent um, mm-hmm. and the Me Too movement. So that's that's what it's about, and um, and it teaches how to do shadow work to recover your spiritual inspiration, you know, following disillusionment and find your way. I think way, that's great. You know? This yeah. is very timely as well. It's a, it's a huge, this will be very helpful for a whole lot of people. It is very timely. As you said, this is out there. And, you know, we can see it in the news. You hear about it on the yes. news. It's not like it's something that's, that's hidden. It's not hidden anymore. Some of it was and was coming out, but now things are coming out more and more and more that we hear about. So, um, you know, that, that makes a huge difference as to how, it, how it's accepted and not accepted, and then what the work that you're doing to what it is to help people to write this uh, expanded version of your book. That's great. That's something to look forward to. I'm excited about that. I'm sure you are as well. Thank you. Coming out in May. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, it's important, you know. Yeah, get it all out there and let people know. It isn't just, you know, there there are people out there who want to help, and we need to stick together and help as many people as we can when we're doing – work and, and, and trying to um, enlighten them and tell them, okay, this is something I heard about. Why don't you check it out? So when I read an author's book and I see there's something else coming up, I'm, I'm intrigued by it and want to know what it is and, and how can we help promote that too. So uh, well, we are getting, kind of you. oh, well, you know, this is, <laughs> this is what we do. <laughs> Yeah, We're getting to the top of the hour, Dr. Connie, and we're almost out of time. But before we go, would you please tell our listeners how they can learn more about you and your work and where they may purchase your book, The Inner Work of Age, Shifting from Role to Soul? Well, the book is in the stores and it's on Amazon. Um, And as you said, you can find my workshops. I have a big conference coming up on the Inner Work of Age in the first weekend in December. You can find out about that at ConnieZweig.com. If you buy the book and you want to read it with others in community, shoot me an email, ConnieZweig at gmail.com, and put Wisdom Circle in the subject line, and I will connect you with eight or ten people to go through the book together and do the practices together. Um, I just launched a new circle today, and people are excited about it. So, well, thank you. It's a great way to to read the book because you're held accountable to all these other people, so you can't you can't slack off. It's wonderful. Yes, it's been really great. So I really appreciate the time and the um, and how well you've read the book. I can tell that you've read it and that you're engaged with it. Well, it is a good book. I mean, it really is. It, it, there's a lot of information in here, and I, I think it's it's something I'd want to go through again when I can take more time with it, you know, rather than just going through it as quickly as I needed to do. But even then, you, you get an awful lot out of it. And the spiritual practices and the shadow work are things that, you know, you can do them. They're not 
they're easy to, they're simple to do, but they're not easy necessarily, you know, because you are doing shadow work. So, yeah. So, you know, there's that. And and you want to take the time to do it rather than skipping over and saying, okay, I get that. Now let's move on. I wasn't working on me. I was reading the book. So, you know, but I, it it would be very different to do it the other way, which is great. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, I appreciate your being here. Thank you so very, very much. If you'd stay on until I finish the outro, I will speak to you in just a few minutes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Connie. Thank you. Love you all. Okay, listeners, we need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on From the Heart Radio, so please share it with your friends. We live in a most challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I do, to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we're meant to live productively, healthfully, and purposefully. And this is where you find the tools to do just that. So please share the good news by sending the link for this show to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so they may learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. On behalf of everyone here from the Heart Radio, I'd like to thank all our listeners for tuning in. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next week for another great show here at From the Heart Radio. Please also check out Soji Huggles Children's Foundation where every dollar of every donation directly supports children in need, 100%. We're run solely by volunteers. There are no salaries, no stipends, no compensation of any kind to anyone. Every penny goes toward underprivileged children. And right now, we're helping subsidize the cost of mental health sessions for children who might not otherwise receive this much-needed therapy. So if you do not have a strong mental health, then you you cannot learn to live well at all. It is vitally important, and all children deserve a fair chance for a good life, and that starts with mental health. Children need help, and together we can provide them the help they need. So please consider donating to SojiKids.org. Your donation makes a difference. Every single dollar matters. If you'd like to support a child, please visit SojiKids.org to learn how. At Soji Huggles, we are investing in a brighter tomorrow by giving them a better today. And thank you for taking time to visit our website, Soji Kids, that's S-O-J-I-K-I-D-S dot org. Please also follow us on Twitter at Soji Huggles. While you're in your social media accounts, please be sure to like us on Facebook, Soji Huggles Children's Foundation. Our From the Heart Radio's thought for this week are the six perfections of Buddhism. May I be generous. May I cultivate integrity and respect. May I be patient and see clearly the suffering of others. May I be energetic steadfast, and wholehearted. May I cultivate a calm and inclusive mind and heart so I can compassionately serve all beings. May I nurture wisdom and impact the benefit of any insights I may have to others. I am your host, T-Love, here at From the Heart Radio, intending you and yours a most enjoyable week and, oh yes, a very happy Thanksgiving. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well.